0: message messages by pastor peter cho of emmanuel community church more information about the ministry of emmanuel community church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org as we close out this this year and begin a new one i've been wrestling for quite a, a while on what to preach on and you know the lord pressed it on my heart to to speak on the church and why it's so important that we that we do this every week that we gather together on sundays every sunday and worship and intentionally enter into this community um, and you know to tell you the truth i've been i've been hearing questions about this more and more and i don't know if I don't know if it has to do with, like, a, a later service time, and now we're running up against, like, Bears kickoff at noon. But a lot of people have been asking me, like, why, why, why is church so important? Why is it important that we worship together? And, um, you know, I hear a lot of things. Like, you know, I, I know a lot of us are busy with young children's. There's a lot of activities even on Sundays. Um, there's a lot of great sermon podcasts out there. You don't really need to come to church to hear a great sermon. Uh, there's a lot of great resources um, there's a lot of us that have Christian friends, you know, inside this church, inside this building, and, and even outside that we really look to as really our community. And so it's easy to just think, well, this is, this is my church. And I think a lot of times, you know, even in our own personal times of worship, you know, we find that to be very rewarding. Or we just, we just think, you know what, I'm just going to do church at home. I'm just going to do my house church on Sundays. And, and I think a lot of us think, you know, isn't that good enough? I mean, life is busy. And the numbers don't lie. You know, churches are actually shrinking. I, I don't know if you can tell if you're here, but a lot of churches are shutting their doors. Some of you, I think, are here because you're part of a church that was dissolved. And, and, I, and I think part of this dynamic that's happening that we're seeing is really because the younger generation has is, is, is largely left the church. They don't see a purpose of even going to church, let alone becoming part of one. And, and I, I think this trend has created this new church movement called the virtual church. I don't know if you've heard of this, if you're aware of it, but uh, some of the largest and fastest growing churches in America today are what are called online churches. And apparently the largest church in America is Life.Church. It has a weekly attendance of 70,000. They're based in Oklahoma. I don't, I don't know what portion of that 70,000 worships online or not, but that's, this is the, now the largest church in America and these are churches where you don't have to physically be present. You can just attend via your computer and access to the Internet. And the way they define these type of churches is they treat the Internet as a campus all its own with an interactive chat, dedicated online pastors, and a web ministry that's ready to serve their cyber congregation. So this is kind of the world we're growing up in now. So I want to show just a quick uh, video of, of uh, this virtual church. as is a promo video. I pulled offline and just kind of show you what what I'm talking about here. Hey, everyone. My name is DJ Soto, and I'm the lead pastor of Virtual Reality Church. We're the first church to exist entirely in VR. And I'm really excited because behind me, I have my church family from all over the globe. You see these emojis? there for you because they want to invite you to VR Church. Everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. So grab a VR headset, download AltSpace VR, and come experience something that you've never experienced before. Bye, everyone. So that's VR Church. I'm a little worried that half of you won't be here next week because you weren't aware that this was an option for you. Don't tell Pastor Steve I told you about this. (laughs) You know, I appreciate their innovative thinking. I appreciate their heart to want to reach people. But is this really what Christ had in mind when he envisioned the church, his bride? Is this what he came to live and die for? Uh, To me, it just looks like Christian Minecraft or we for Christians. (laughs) But in all seriousness, today I want to preach on why it is that we worship on Sundays. Why is it important for us to physically come to this place, to gather as a body, and do this thing that we do every week? Why should we make it a priority? Why does God call us to it? So we're going to be looking at a brief psalm today, Psalm 95, and let me just say this is not meant to be a comprehensive argument for why we are to attend church, but I think This psalm actually captures some important reasons of why God calls us together and to worship him. So let's read this together. Psalm 95 says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, this psalm is an invitation to to worship. I believe it was written by King David. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. And one of the things that you'll notice first about this psalm is that we come together every Sunday just to be reminded of God's worth. To be reminded of God's worth, and this is why we sing. This is why we come together and we express our worship to Him in song as a community. Verse one says, "Come, let us sing for the joy, for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the Rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song." You know, clearly, this is not something that can be done in isolation. And I don't know if you've been at our church for a couple years. um, A while back, I preached an entire message on this, why we sing, why we sing in church. And a couple years ago, and so um, if you feel inclined, please pull that message. I get much more into it. But today I'm just going to touch on it (coughs) and also uh, remind us, you know, in Ephesians 5, verse 19, it says this, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And it's very clear that God calls us not just to sing with one another in this place as we're gathered here, but to sing to one another, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. This is one of the main reasons why we're called to gather here together in worship. And, you know, as I shared before, Music, song, has a way of stirring our hearts, stirring our emotions in a way that nothing else can. And I I think the reason why God invites us to not just worship him but to worship him in song is because sometimes we don't feel it, right? We come here and we just don't feel like worshiping. And and God has invited us to, to worship him in song because something gets stirred in our emotions through the music that can lift us to another place. To lift our eyes towards Him. It can bring us to a place where we cannot go alone. And hearing others around us singing these truths to one another, it can minister to us, especially when we're not feeling it. And I shared this before, but um, a couple years back, um, one of my friends lost a daughter. Um, she was about nine years old at the time, if I recall. And we were at the funeral, and, and before we began with all the eulogies and such and hearing a message, we just sang together. And one of the songs that we sang was Good, Good Father. And I remember at the moment, like, just trying to sing that song while you're standing behind just this little casket is just it's incredibly difficult to sing it and to actually feel like you can say it sincerely. And yet I remember in the moment of singing, like I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't feel like worshiping God. You know, There was so much sadness in that place, in that room, grieving the loss of this young child. And yet hearing the voices of God's people in that place, hearing the, these, these truths, other, I don't know if, if most of us believed what was being sung in that moment, and yet there was a power in it. And the Holy Spirit was ministering to each of us And knowing that we're we're all proclaiming these truths, that you're perfect in all of your ways. You're perfect in all of your ways, even here in this moment. And I think singing has the ability to do that, to bring us to places above, to help us rise above our circumstances. And singing with others has a way of ministering to our souls in a way that singing alone does not. You know, as we're in community together, we... We know what's going on in each other's lives, and and I know some of you share your prayer requests with me, and I'm going to put Miss Abella on the spot here, but she texts me a few times a week and just asks me to pray for her, and she'll specify, you know, things that's just heavy on her heart. And and I got to say, when I come here on on Sundays, you know, I, I see her, and I see her worshiping, and it really ministers to me because I know the burdens that she's carrying in her heart, and yet she can come here and just express herself so freely, even in her tears. Even in our hardships, to the Lord. And, you know, we talk a lot here about congregational singing. And um, I know every time I lead worship, I try to, to, uh, to speak to it. And that's something that we really want to be the hallmark of our worship is not, not the worship team, it's not the band up here, but really your voices to carry really these songs so that each of us can hear not just ourselves singing but to hear our brothers and sisters singing these truths not just to God but to one another to remind ourselves of what it is that we're so prone to forget even this morning I I love these songs that we sang you know just reminding us that God is sovereign he's king over all things right you know we go to to Cubs games we go to Bears games There's, there's songs there too right Singing has a way of unifying us together around a greater purpose to glorify God. And we need to come here and we need to be reminded that God is worthy. We need to be reminded that this is important. Corporate worship is something that cannot be replicated in a virtual environment. So we come together as a church not just as a reminder of God's worth in our singing But we also come together. Corporate worship for a revelation from God. If you look at this psalm in verse three, notice that our corporate what our corporate worship reveals to us about God. It says, "For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land." And I want to read just a, a verse from the song that we sang t- this morning the first song, God the Uncreated One and I just love this line, it says King eternal God of grace we crown you with the highest praise heaven shouts and saints adore your holy, holy, holy Lord with joy and everlasting life all is love and faith is sight justice rolls and praises rise at the name of Jesus Christ kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall he is faithful through it all Crown him king forever. And you know, it could just be lyrics that we read off of the screen there. But really, these are incredible truths that we are singing. That he is above it all. That he is a great God, above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain speaks belong to him. Everything that we see is formed by his hands. And we need to be reminded of that. In the chaos of our lives, when our feels like life is just spinning out of control, we need to be reminded that God is all-powerful. He is all-wise. He does. He is above all of it. And there is a glorious design in the midst of even what we may see as, as just chaos. Verse 6 says this, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel. Before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You know, I love that the psalmist doesn't just stop with three and four, just talking about God's sovereignty and his power. But it shows us that God is more than just all powerful. He's good. He's created us, just as he created all things. And we are his. His. I mean, what good is it if God is all-powerful and in control of all things if his heart is not for us, if he's not working all things for our good? you know, I, most, I know most of us don't come to church openly questioning, like, is God in control or is God sovereign? We don't come here, like, at least explicitly saying, like, you know, God is not good or I don't think God loves me. These are some very basic truths that we at least profess But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we all experience doubt. And this is a weekly struggle for all of us. We need to be reminded of these truths. You know, we say often around here that our, our emotions are the windows into our soul. Meaning what we feel is the best indicators of what is actually happening inside of us. So let me ask you, even this morning as you woke up, or maybe when you walked into this room, what, what were the dominant feelings that you had? And what was it that triggered those emotions? Can we just take a few seconds? Just think, this morning, what were you feeling in your heart? What was the dominant emotion in, the, in your soul? You know, I think if if I'm honest, most days I wake up not feeling so refreshed, but just with the weight of the world on my shoulders, with all the things I have to get done that day, all the burdens that I'm carrying. I feel sometimes anxious and worried and distracted. And I think if we're honest, most of us... We come to church in that place, too. We're struggling with anxiety. We're thinking about our kids. We're thinking about their future. We're thinking about our jobs, our bosses, maybe our incompetent coworkers. We're thinking about broken relationships. I think that comes very glaringly obvious in this time of the year, in the holidays. So we're forced to deal with certain people that we haven't seen for a long time, and yet they're very much a part of our lives. We think about politics and politicians and we struggle to support. We think about all the injustices that we, they see around us and that's perpetuated by ignorance or by hate. And we carry all that. And we worry about how God will provide for our needs. We worry about how our future for our children, we're troubled over their struggles, whether it's social or spiritual or academic. We worry about how we're going to pay for college or how we're going to fund our retirement. But beneath all that worry, our souls are really being exposed. Do we really believe? that God is in control. Do we really believe that he made us and made all things and that he cares for us? And I think these emotions they tell us that our souls do need to be ministered to. That we have lost sight of things about God that we say that we believe are true. But the worries of this world have distracted us from what we profess to be true. And we need to be reminded in this place with fellow believers That God is alive. That he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our very lives because he is a God that is in control of all things. And he does care for us. He is sovereign. He is wise. He is good. He is loving. And you notice in this psalm in verse 7 it says this, Today if only you would hear his voice. Worship not only involves the expression of our love for him in song, but a revelation of him, his character, his ways, his will, through the hearing of his voice. This is one of the reasons why we come here, to hear his voice. And this often comes to us through the proclamation of his word on Sundays from this pulpit. But it's certainly not limited to that. And I think it would be a shame if that's all it that we're limited to. You know, I was encouraged to see in the youth group video that they had a lot of time set aside to hear testimonies. Not just testimonies from um, the adult helpers, but also testimonies from, from the youth themselves. You know, I think that's something that really God calls each of us to in this body of believers. And over the last month, we've heard testimonies from Pastor Eugen and their adoption journey. We've heard from our, our brother Alan and, and about his struggle with his parents and finding joy in the midst of that. We've heard from our brother Ryan share about how God has called him to be a peacemaker and to reach out to a high school teacher he hadn't spoken to in over 30 years. And in each of their testimonies, I was just struck by how God is in control of all things and how God has demonstrated his goodness and his favor on each of them as they stepped out in faith through their various challenges, through their unique circumstances. You know, when Pastor Eugene, you know, a month ago shared that that they had discovered that Samuel was already given the same Korean surname as his four boys... I was, I was just moved to tears. It's like only God could do that. Only God could show that this boy from this very beginning was meant to be a part of this family. And I'm thankful that Eugene shared his story. These brothers have shared their stories, and others are willing to do so because when we come together and we're doing life together and we struggle together and we walk by faith and we fall in real time, we, we see We see God at work in these lives, and we're encouraged. This is what we're called to do in our community of faith. Not only called to speak truth and love to one another, but we're called to speak truth about God to one another. He's sovereign. He's good. And, you know, the rest of Psalm 95 closes with this ominous warning. It says this, Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And these are hard words. What is it here that the psalmist is warning against that seems to infuriate God? What is it exactly that has caused their hearts to harden? You know, this warning references a specific moment in the wilderness wanderings in Exodus. It's talking about a specific location in Meribah and Massah. It's found in Exodus 17. I want to just read it for you. It's just seven verses. And it says this in Exodus 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Masah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? I think that last verse 7 is so important. That last line. How did they test the Lord? Is the Lord among us or not? They did not believe that God was with them. Because they had failed to speak truths about God to one another. Instead, this entire community had embraced the lie that God was not with them. In the midst of their dire circumstance, they didn't have water. They lost sight of God. See, being physically together is not enough. Being together, reminding ourselves of what is true. That is why we are here. And the irony here is that God had already shown them that he was with them in some incredibly powerful ways. He had delivered them from the Egyptians with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And that's probably, arguably, the greatest miracle in all the Old Testament. In fact, in Exodus 16, just the previous chapter, he had just provided manna for them and even quail for these people. And yet, without water, they instantly forget, God is not with us. And here they stood as a warning, an entire generation of Israelites, those who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They served no other purpose, essentially, than to serve as a warning to future generations, even to me and to you. Yeah, I don't know if you, in your, in your work office, if you, if you see some of these motivational posters that talk about, you know, defining success or perseverance. I get more inspired by these demotivational posters. <laughs> this is one that Pastor Steve shared a, a couple years ago. I think it's one of my favorites. If you could advance the slide, it says this. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> um. I know, it's very demotivating. (laughs) But this is essentially, I think, what we're talking about here. This was that generation. They really served as a warning to others. And this speaks of a previous generation, but even though we're separated by time, when you read this chapter, there's a strong sense of community here that spans across all time. We're to learn from one another. In the context of community, even in our mistakes, even when God disciplines us, even when we do wrong, even in previous generations. And this whole chapter is infused with this sense of community. Everything you'll notice is spoken of in the plural form. Come, let us sing. Let us come before him. Let us bow down. Let us kneel and worship. And this is because the church is to be a reflection, a reflection of God's community. In that community, receive from him and we give to one another in that receiving. You know, Hebrews 4 expands on Psalm 95 and, and specifically on that warning. In Hebrews 4, it says this, verses 6 through 11. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Again, these are hard words, but let me say that when Scripture is talking about perishing because of disobedience and being angered at an entire generation, declaring an oath that they will not enter their rest, God doesn't say these things simply because of their disobedience, simply because they did not do what was right. It was because they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe truths about him which kept them from doing what is right. And here the writer of Hebrews tells us that even the next generation of God's people, the children of those who wandered in the wilderness, even though they entered the promised land through jo- with Joshua, they did not even enter the final rest. And he's saying if that were the case, then he would not have spoken through David centuries later, then again in calling us into his rest. Why? Because ultimately that rest is found in Christ. And that rest is embodied in his provision of a Sabbath rest in which we are called to gather and to worship him and to find rest in him. And this is a reminder of the importance of entering into God's Sabbath rest. And this is why later in Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. I think these are very applicable words even for today. To implore us to don't give up meeting together. Some of you are in the habit of doing that. Don't do that. Enter into his rest. Be reminded of the truths that you profess you believe. Because the truth is in a span of six days we forget. Now, I'm not saying that in order to be saved, you need to go to church every week. You know, the famous Christian singer from the 70s, Keith Green, he used to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And this is true. But if God in his wisdom has called us to this, then who are we to argue against God? Who are we to claim that there is another, there's a better way for me? You know, coming to church on Sunday is important, and God calls us to at least this, but I also believe it's much more than that, more than just checking in box. The church is not just a place we go, but it's something that we are a part of. It's not a building. It's the bride of Christ. And what does this look like in the context of a community of faith? <clears throat> you know, we talk a lot about community groups here. And I have the great privilege of overseeing the community groups and um, I think about three-fourths of our church is in a community group roster, and, and my guess is about two-thirds of the people on those rosters actually are committed to making community groups a regular part of their lives. So about half the church is my, is my sense. But this is really where community happens in the church. It's very easy to come here. If any of, I know many of you at some point in your, in your life have probably been a part of a mega church. It's so easy to just walk in and walk out, to go unnoticed, to not really really enter into community. And yet this is what the church represents. It's so easy to to just curate our own little circle of friends, people who think like us, look like us, talk like us, share all the same values and interests as us. And yet when you come here, you don't get to choose that entirely, right? There are people here that are very different from us. And as we do life together, it, it doesn't just expose their deficiencies or, or their weaknesses or their flaws, it exposes ours. And in the context of doing community and living in community, we, we grow in our awareness of ourselves. And we learn how to care for one another. This is the place in which we are to, to express our love for one another, to, to obey all these one another commands. This is the place in which we are to grow together and press on towards Christ together, hand in hand. And there are going to be seasons when some of us are struggling and some of us are not. And for those that are doing well, that are walking and, and clearly seeing the Lord in your life and is able to encourage another, this is, this is your time to lift up another brother or sister, whether they're experiencing marriage or difficulties or parenting struggles. This is what it means to be a family of faith. And it's in this place that God has designated really faith to to grow, not just among us, but from generation to generation. You know, I want to close by showing you a picture. Um, This comes from last Sunday's Christmas service. And. I actually posted it on Facebook. I don't know if, if, you, if you are Facebook friends with me, but I posted it on Facebook. It just gave me so much joy. I know you probably can't see it from there, but uh, this comes from last Sunday's Christmas service. I said it's, it's when all of you were laughing at one point in the video that we showed last week. And one of the kids said something funny, and our brother Andrew Pulley, he captured this in one shot. And <clears throat> I found myself in my office this week just staring at this picture for a while. And actually zooming in on it and, and looking at each of your faces. I hope that doesn't creep you out. but <laughs> And as I was doing it, it just made me happy to see you all happy. You know, your joy was my joy. And I just found myself praying for each of you as I, as I saw your faces. And, you know, as, a, as one of your pastors, I want so much for you to have experienced joy in your life. But a joy that's lasting and eternal that comes from the joy in the Lord. And so, in closing, I want to show you just a, a close up of this picture and this video. And it's going to pan across of it, this whole picture. Some of it will be fuzzy, just so you can get a better picture of all the faces. The lighting wasn't great. And I know anytime we look at a picture, our first instinct is to find ourselves and what do we look like. But I wanted you to look at all these faces very carefully. I want you to share in their joy. And as the video is playing, I want to just invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to lead us in a song before we take communion this morning, or this afternoon. So can you play the video, and then we'll continue. Uh, If you're still not convinced that we are forgetful creatures who lose sight of God, then really, you don't have to look any further than this table. This table is something that Jesus has called us all to, as believers, to do regularly, and it's... Here that we're called to remember because we're so prone to forget. At this table, we remember that He gave Himself up for us as a substitute for our sins. At this table, we remember that we cannot just share in the fellowship of His sufferings, but we can share in the power of His resurrection in this life. At this table, we're reminded that a day is coming when we will sit at His table. Dine with him full of joy, gladness, and fulfillment of all that he has promised to us. You know, there's something so powerful about coming together and doing this as a family of faith. And I'm a relatively new pastor. I, I, I don't think I've even led communion a dozen times yet. And yet, uh, I, was, I remember being struck for the first time leading communion on this side of the table when we all took the elements together In unison. It was just a powerful visual picture for me of what this is all about. That we're all in this together. That we're all broken. That we all need Him. And we're all called to remember this together as a community. This is why we gather.